game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors Chris Allen and A A Adam Wildey. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, the co host of the Dynasty Owner's Manual podcast. And I'm Adam Wildey, the other co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast, and I'll get us started with the foreword. We just finished our fourth episode of the Dynasty Mailbag Live with DLF. So if you haven't heard about the Dynasty Mailbag Live, we take questions every week. You get submitted to the DLF Mailbag. You can also contact myself on Twitter. You can contact Chris. You can contact the DLF Twitter. Pretty much anybody involved with the show, just ask them a question. We'll talk about it Wednesday night around 8.30 EST. We'll bring the green screens. You bring the questions. Um, other than that, Best Ball Owners Manual is going to kick it up more, starting to get into the uh, redraft type of season. Other than that, Debbie Owners Manual is looking really hard at the 2020 class. So those are both two podcasts that are on our network that you should definitely go check out. And also our podcast and Debbie Owners Manual will be on the DLF family of pods very soon. Yeah, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing all of that kind of come together. So for anybody that hasn't been or that's been following us for a while, it's been a, a decent uh, or it's been a fun journey uh, to kind of transition from us, you know, Adam and I just kind of talking back and forth and talking with just a plethora of wonderful guests. And now we've this has kind of grown into something where we're interacting with the community more and really trying to learn a bit more about dynasty in and of itself and trying to keep always trying to keep strategy first and foremost in our minds but uh, of course when it comes to dynasty formats there are a number of different ways or different avenues that you can go down in order to enjoy it so we've been we've been having fun uh, learning and kind of bringing some other folks along with us like dwight andrew uh, jeremy uh, brad i mean all those all those guys that have now kind of you know come along with us in order to figure it out but when it comes to DLF, how could we not talk about Mr. Bobby Koch, who we have here tonight? I mean, this is now his glorious return to the podcast, and now since we have him here, we've been able to uh, catch him after he's done with school. Congratulations for that. But now we, we bring you in, Bobby, in order to talk about uh, not just this year's draft, but just about... Uh, how we view some of these rookies in general. I think everybody has been so fixated on the the first rounders. We've got Sanders, we've got Montgomery, we've got AJ Brown. I mean, all these other guys, even into the second round, talking about some of the tight ends and whatnot. But third rounders, fourth rounders, these late round guys. Uh, I guess a lot of folks do have uh, do have issues with drafting them, seeing the value of them. Uh, so we wanted to bring you in in order to to talk to you about that and just hopping right into it. I guess what are you trying to accomplish overall? I mean, once you get into that third round of your of your rookie drafts. 
Sure. And thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, I think I was on episode two or three. It was a pretty early on in the Dynasty owner's manual process. And uh, you guys have obviously come a long way. You have your own network now. You're going to be part of the DLF family. It's really awesome to see you guys both really deserve it. And I'm happy to see that it's come so far. Definitely had to lead with that. Um, I'm also happy to be back on. In regards to third round rookie picks... So I often tend to trade my, I'm not going to lie. I tend to trade my third round rookie picks. I use them as a kicker in trades so that if the value gap is close, but not quite there, I'll go, okay, I'll include a third round pick. However, Mm -hmm. if I'm stuck with a third round pick and I might be jumping the gun here a little bit on uh, your show sheet, but I don't really care about ADP. I don't Mm -hmm. care about a bunch of things. I'm looking for guys who either have high draft capital and for whatever reason fell and it's because people don't like their situation or I'm looking for guys that are lottery tickets and if they pay off, they're going to pay off big. I don't want your like backup, backup running back who has no chance of ever being relevant. I want your backup running back backing up a guy who has an injury history or is in the doghouse with his team or I want the wide receiver connected to a quarterback who uh, doesn't everyone hates, which is a spoiler for one of uh, Adam's <laughs> picks, I think. But that's how I feel about third round picks. It's really that point. It's lottery tickets, and if you can get guys who hit it all and turn into late seconds or mid seconds the next year, that's great because that means that you already had an increase in value. So that's my view on a uh, third round picks. And just to give a little idea of last year in the third round. And I think he got bumped up towards the end, but I was targeting all of the Antonio Callaway shares that I could. Mm-hmm. And when he went on his like little mid-season run, I actually traded him at a profit in pretty much all of my leagues. So Good that's deal. the type of player I'm looking at. And to expand a little bit on your uh, concept of trading the thirds, that's exactly how I use my thirds as well. I think Russ uh, alludes to that a lot with the uh, Trade Addicts pod. But... I will add that I also wait until the actual draft until we get to the third round and see some of the guys falling there. And then I start unloading the players that I'm not super interested in. Maybe Geronimo Allison, if you believe a lot in MVS, um, something like that, where there are guys at the bottom of your roster and you would just like to have different bottom of the roster guys. So I'll sell all my thirds. Usually I don't make it into a draft with third round picks. Um, unless it was picks in a startup like I had recently. I just acquired a bunch of thirds because I knew I could trade them once the draft came in. I'll use them to get trades done more often than not. But keep your eyes on the drafts because I know a lot of people like to tune out once they don't have any picks. And if someone interesting falls there and you can turn something like a Geronimo Allison into one of these guys that we're going to talk about, that's big because the bottom of your roster could should keep churning if you just leave the bottom of your roster stagnant you just end up with a bunch of guys sitting there with their fourth year in and not doing anything yeah i wholeheartedly agree and i think and this is a question for you about mr uh, mr superflex uh, himself in that i know that for at least in superflex formats uh the starting quarterbacks or the the prospects that we believe are going to be starting uh, should be fairly high up when it comes to their value 
But do you do you find yourself or have you targeted any of the backup quarterbacks that I guess players that uh, if I wanted to think of a comparable for this season, uh, so if we're looking at maybe, um, I don't know, a Drew Locke or a Will Greer or some of those players that we know have an established quarterback in front of them, but I know that the easy examples would, uh, and when talking about third rounders, revolve around running backs and wide receivers, but from your perspective, are there any quarterbacks or have you even entertained the idea of grabbing a quarterback in those late rounds? Sure. Yeah. And super flex. I always entertain the idea of quarterbacks. Uh, I haven't seen Drew Locke fall to the third round too much. I think people recognize that the Broncos are probably going to give him a chance. So latest I've seen him is like a mid second, but in the third round, I have seen, as you mentioned, Will Greer and Cam Newton does have some shoulder issues. So I don't necessarily mind that even in the late third, I've seen things like uh, Jared Stidham going, which I also don't mind because We've seen the Patriots have a history of taking these guys who are backing up Brady. And even if they don't necessarily start for the Patriots, they seem to end up starters at some point in other teams. So I've been taking a few shots on Stidham in some super flex leagues, just hoping that he follows that trajectory of, oh, he worked with Bill Belichick, so he should be a starter somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's perfect, and that kind of rolls into the next question because you just laid out the, I guess, the the format or the blueprint for how you or why you would draft some of those players in the first place. So in the case of Stidham, we have a narrative there where we've seen backups to Brady like Jacoby Brissett, like Jimmy Garoppolo, that have wound up having value in Dynasty despite the fact that they never wound up at least having a full-time starting role with the Patriots. So... How do you, or like, do you, is that what you normally do with those late round value guys that you wind up selecting? It does there has to have to be a narrative surrounding that player in order for you to draft them in the first place? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I've said this before and I'm sure I'll say it again. I'm not a numbers guy, I'm not a film guy. What I am is a story guy. And so what I do is I take a look at the numbers and I take a look at the film and I pay attention to what other people are saying who specialize in those areas. And I create a story of success for myself for what failure looks like. And with these late round shots, you have to be doing that. And if you can't come up with a story of success, that's a good way to tell yourself, I need to stay away from this player. So like I just said with Will Greer, for example, right now he's a third round pick, but you could create a narrative or a story of success where you say, okay, if Cam Newton's shoulder is much worse than we all think it is, and he has an Andrew Luck year where he needs to take a year off recuperate and then will greer starts for a year you could get more than a third round pick back for him in the super flex league by selling whereas maybe a guy much deeper down i'm trying to think off the top of my head sal would be in me yeah finley i could honestly i could create one for finley too i was thinking almost like brett ripian did he even end up on a team yeah he's on um but the point is broncos broncos Broncos. So I guess you could, but if you do for Ripian, you're really, really stretching. So mm-hmm. that's a guy that I would stay away from. And there are some guys that I really think that people have seen them succeed at the college level or even at some point. And they even some people go back to high school. That's a little too much for me. It has to be I can see a path to success and early starting opportunity in the NFL. If I don't see it, that's when I tell myself to stay away. So I'm definitely a narrative guy. And sometimes I think I do drink my own Kool-Aid, but Mm -hmm. at the cost of a third round pick, 
you're really not wasting that much if you drink your own Kool-Aid at that cost. Sure. I've been hearing a lot this week from Ryan on both the Ryan McDowell and both the DLF podcast and Dynasty Blueprint about Quadri Allison, and I knew he existed, but I didn't have any narrative for him taking any goal line work or any touches at all, ever. I mean, in my head, with his draft capital, I assumed that he was just not going to be a factor whatsoever. But then they paint that narrative. I mean, it has to be a narrative. You can't point at his profile or his draft capital and say, yeah, this guy's going to demand to be on the field. However, you can say Devonta Freeman is this kind of compact, kind of quick guy. And uh, Ito's kind of similar, but a little less compact and probably not as quick. But Quadra Allison is just this thumper that's going to run through dudes. And it's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense for the dude to get the ball on the goal line then. I mean, Devonta Freeman's shifty, but you put him on the one-yard line, does it really matter how shifty he is? Why don't you give it to this massive dude, and then your random flex option got you six points. Well, you took him in the fourth round, and you played him, and he scored a touchdown. You won. You win the day. So we're going to get into some practical application for the second half of the show. And basically what we want to do now, remember this is going to be super flex ADP. So some of these guys, you might say, well, they're not in my third round. That's because we're playing super flex. Unless all of our leagues are um, based on super flex ADP. These guys are third round or later. And we're going to discuss not only who we're taking, but why we're taking in there, why we're taking that kind of player there kind of your third round philosophy and we're going to start with you bobby we're going to start with your first guy on the list you want to go ahead and introduce him sure so my first guy is travion williams and i know he was a six round pick so again this is me telling myself a narrative but when you come to the nfl off a college season where you had over two thousand yards from scrimmage and you also caught 27 balls out of the backfield at texas a&m that's going to catch my attention even more what's going to catch my attention is I know that everyone's been saying this, but I really believe it, that he could easily take over the Giovanni Bernard role. Gio has been a great receiving back for the Bengals, but he is a UDFA after this season. So I could see them starting to work Travion in as early as this season to get him prepared for being the receiving back of the future. Just because while Joe Mixon can catch the ball, that's not really his specialty. And he does, just like everyone else these days, he needs a breather once in a while. So I think that if you spend a third-round pick on Travion, you could see some early returns. And he'll, I'm not saying he'll ever be the guy, and I don't even think he'll be the direct replacement if Mixon were to go down. I actually think that'd be Rodney Anderson, assuming he's healthy. But I do think he'll be more valuable than a third-round pick over the course of his career at some point. Yeah, that one actually, it hurts because I remember I actually went to the Patriots-Bengals game uh, the first, like, Giovanni's, like, first year. And mm-hmm. that was actually when uh, Ben Jarvis was still on the team. And I remember watching him <laughs> score a touchdown and uh, and it was I, we actually we uh, we won that game. It was like seven to six or something like that. Uh, it was it was like the most boring game ever, but it was still actually kind of fun, kind of fun to watch. But yeah, I'm I'm really surprised that with everything that uh, Geo has been able to accomplish, like he's had some decent stretches when when Mixon was out, and it just doesn't seem like the team has really been one to commit to keeping him long term. So that one, that one kind of hurts, but I, I can totally see that happening. That's that's the mm-hmm. part that really that really sucks. 
I do have to say I love Giovanni Bernard, and I had him on a bunch of my teams just so Peter Howard doesn't kill me. But uh, <laughs> I just I very easily see a scenario where the Bengals move on, especially because they do have new coaching system there, and mm-hmm. they per- they brought in Travion. So I think that Travion is going to be their guy after this year. I just can't see them throwing money at uh, Gia when they could just try Travion and see what happens. Right. Sure. That puts you up, Chris. All right. And uh, for me, I think one of the guys that I've been drafting fairly heavily, it's been Dexter Williams. And I think it's, at least for me, the narrative doesn't feel like it's so much of a stretch because we have an idea of the pieces or the dynamics that are currently going on within the Green Bay backfield. And you've got Aaron Jones, and as Adam and I just discussed on the on the DLF show, like while I think... I'm, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that people don't believe in the talent of Aaron Jones and what he can do, his athleticism, and what he's able to accomplish on the field. So we can set that aside. Now, there are obviously concerns about, I mean, he had the injury in 2017. Uh, he was uh, suspended in 2018. So, okay, there are some concerns, but I don't think there's anything to at least a knock on his ability to produce on the field, thus keeping him as the RB1 in that backfield assuming the the, uh, the logic logical coaching. But Jamal Williams, we know what Jamal Williams is. We know that, at least comparatively speaking, the, he doesn't hold a candle to Aaron Jones. But now when it comes to Dexter Williams, the athleticism is there. I also believe that the production is there. Now, despite the fact that he was, what, a sixth-round pick? Somewhere in that range? Now, the draft capital... 622. Okay. So the draft capital doesn't necessarily speak to the fact that, oh, Dexter is going to come in and immediately take over the backfield, immediately displace Jamal Williams. Nobody's saying that. But if his athleticism definitely speaks volumes to what he can produce on the field, and he also offers a more complete complement to Aaron Jones, I'm I'm hard-pressed to believe that that uh, new offensive coaching staff is going to look at those two running backs and say that, well, these are the two that I would rather press forward with than looking at what Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones can do versus what Aaron Jones and Dexter Williams can do. So I'm looking forward to seeing him produce on the field, I think, as a compliment to Aaron Jones. And he's been my guy that I've been trying to I've been trying to pick up as much as possible in rookie drafts. And as we mentioned, it doesn't really make sense, but it makes sense to NFL coaches apparently because Aaron Jones has struggled to just grab hold of that RB1 reins, and he really should have by now. Um, but I could see it. My guy's going to be Miles Boykin, and I really just I don't want to talk about him because I want to keep getting him. But he's 6'4", 220, prototypical size, 4.4240, and I'll add that he's being drafted one spot behind Calvin Harmon, two inches taller, same weight, three rounds before, sorry, two rather. So he's a third round pick. That's not, that's not a late pick. That, that's still a significant pick. Now it was late in the third, so it's starting to get in that iffy range. But he's got good speed. He's got the ability to go downfield. He has excellent hand-eye coordination. If your knock on Lamar is that he's not the most accurate passer, well, what's he probably going to do? He's probably going to chuck the ball up. Miles Boykin is who I want on the other end of chucking the ball up. And say what you want about the Ravens, but they knew their strengths and they drafted for them. They went and took Marquise Brown as the first wide receiver off the board. He's not even close to as talented as Nikhil Harry but he was the first wide receiver off the board because he's going to be the quickest guy down the field. 
if you want to play to Lamar's strengths, let him chuck it. Miles Boykin has just as good a chance to succeed as Marquise Brown, in my opinion, and he's going two rounds later. That's my pick. Yeah, and just to add there, so on the first episode of Zuperflex, we talked about Lamar Jackson, and I did research into Lamar Jackson's numbers thinking, okay, I really am not going to be impressed with this guy whatsoever. And I'm not saying that he was a great passer, but he was a better passer than the community generally gives him credit for, especially when you compare him to other rookie seasons by other quarterbacks. So to get a guy that was drafted as a day two pick in the third round that's tied to a young receiver on a wide open depth chart is just a smash pick for me. And I'm definitely all in on getting Miles Boykin in the third round. In fact, when you mention it to me, I'm surprised he's going in the third round because I generally have seen him going mid to late second maybe, but Mm -hmm. even in that range, I'm definitely happy to get him there and want pretty much all the Miles Boykin shares I can get at that price. Sure, and we're talking super flex here, but honestly, his ADP in one QB is 24, so 2.12. I mean, that's still too late for him in my opinion, especially since... We're not going to go back and forth on all the guys he should be over, but there's definitely guys at the beginning of the second round that I would still consider him around. But that's going to put you on your second guy, Bobby. Go ahead. Sure. So my second guy, I actually feel bad for advocating for this guy, and I say that because he has some character issues. And uh, just because of these character issues, I'm going to take this opportunity to mention NCADV, which is the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Uh, I like to donate some of my fantasy winnings there. If anybody else wants to follow suit, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. But this guy is going to be uh, Preston Williams, the UDFA for the Miami Dolphins. And he had a huge season, his final season in college. He had over 1,300 yards. He had 96 receptions and 14 touchdowns. The main reason that he went undrafted is... He does have a little bit of an injury history, and then he does have the character concerns, which led to him not even being invited to the combine, and he had a bad pro day. However, if you read uh, if you read the article I just wrote about Mike Gazeki at DLF Football, you'll see my opinion about the Dolphins' wide receivers. Spoiler alert, I don't think much of them, <laughs> especially when you, your main guy is either... Uh, don't get me wrong, I like Kenny Stills, but when your main guy is either Kenny Stills or Devontae Parker... Mm-hmm. For me, that is a wide-open depth chart as well. And I know that UDFAs don't have a long history of success, but there have been some in recent years that have come on strong by having a strong work ethic. So if he can follow that path, I could very easily see him developing along with Rosen and becoming one of the go-to guys there. And I don't even think most people are drafting him in the fourth round. I've seen him as a waiver wire pickup. In most cases, so and super, and super flex he is. Yep, and in wow. uh, one QB, he's fifty four overall. Yeah, so this is just me trying to get him on people's radars as a either waiver wire pickup, or if you're in a league that does taxi squads, he could be a good uh, sure. taxi squad. Stash. I like that. Got no problem with that as a stash for sure. Mm-hmm. It's going to put you on the clock, Chris. Okay. If anybody was able to check out Twitter today piece that I came uh, that I put out earlier today or actually yesterday rather uh, was on Kyler Murray but I tried to at least make it uh, the Arizona Cardinals centric while focusing on just uh, like Murray's abilities as a, as a passer but 
when we look at the Cardinals and what they were able to do in the 2019 draft, uh, where they picked up uh, Butler, they picked up Isabella. I mean, both fine prospects, don't get me wrong. Uh, But I think Keyshawn Johnson is another one of those guys where I think the production, like from a collegiate standpoint, the the production is there and also what he's capable of doing on the field and how he can be deployed is also something that we should take notice of. Now, I mean, he's probably like the sixth or seventh option in that offense at this point with you've got Kirk, you've got Fitzgerald, Butler, Isabella. James, yeah. David Johnson, David so Johnson, RSJ. So then, and then you've got Johnson like down there at number seven. Sure. Yeah. That's what taxi squads are for. That's what taxi <laughs> squads are Smith for. Too. Don't forget about Caleb Smith. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, he's deep. I mean, but I mean, if you want to have a piece of that offense and you want to have it at at a fairly low cost, I would say that that is a player that you could really look into because if we're assuming that. Uh, you know, Larry Fitz is going to be gone after this year. That opens up uh, a position in the slot, and I think the way that he profiles, he could work. He can work in that position quite well. He had back-to-back over a thousand-yard, uh, thousand-yard seasons, but it was at Fresno State. So I mean, sure. we can't uh, stock into that. But still, fairly decent piece of that offense comes at a decent price or fairly cheap price. So I think that'd be somebody worth investing in. Yeah, and Keyshawn Johnson was one of the top five guys for Jesse Reeves who's really good with wide receivers so that just happens and a lot of people advocate for the cheapest part of an offense right and he's the cheapest part for sure mm-hmm. um, my, my guy's going to be Terry McLaurin for a lot of the same reasons as Keyshawn actually except for less deep on the depth chart he played with uh, Dwayne Haskins and Dwayne Haskins as many people saw tweeted that day thank goodness they listened or something along that line. And I thought that was so funny because I speculated that he probably on that first phone call did mention, please pick up one of my guys where it be Paris Campbell or Terry McLaurin. But I just think that it's wide open and Terry McLaurin's the cheapest option there. I mean, you have Josh Doxon's going to be more expensive. Paul Richardson's going to be more expensive. Even Calvin Harmon is more expensive just because of how high he was in the pre-draft process. So if we're going to go by the narrative that you should just take the cheapest option in an offense, especially an offense where Jake Gruden's got a lot on the line, man. We talked about this in the previous podcast. You have all this young talent, but you have to go to the playoffs this year. That's a unique situation, and it's going to be fun to watch as a newly not Redskins fan because, man, that – that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. That's why I mentioned I don't think it should be playoffs or bust. I think it should be productivity or bust. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's going to be any productivity, I think that it's going to have to involve Terry McLaurin on the outside, Paul Richardson probably on the other side, and then our guy Trey Quinn on the, in the slot. That's how I think things are going to shake out with the Redskins offense. For a no longer Redskins fan, Adam talks about the Redskins as if he's still a fan. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is also that you guys do get to play the Giants at least uh, two times. So that should be an easy win. Uh, you know, Daniel Jones or Eli yeah. Manning is starting, so I don't expect them to win many games. <laughs> well, I've got 23 years of desensitizing to work on. Right. <laughs> I was going to say that that's a that's such a homer pick for you, even though you're a you're you're not a fan of the Redskins. But uh, I, I'm the quotation marks are right. Yeah, I'm not I would surprised at all to see you pick somebody. I'm knowledgeable because I'm in the area. All right, 
fine. Okay, I guess I'll let you have that one. Whatever. But I, I, but to your point, though, it really is, I'd say it's fairly similar to the Baltimore situation in how we don't know how those wide receivers are going to be deployed. Right. I mean, there's just so much up in the air as to, one, how how the receivers are going to get deployed, and then also how each Q, each quarterback in Lamar Jackson in Baltimore and now Dwayne Haskins in Washington, how they're going to find rapport with, with each of them. I mean, trying to establish that connection with each of them is going to be a task, and I'm wondering who winds up getting, you know, at least maintaining that connection into the regular season now. Of course, McLaurin has the inside track because of their time up in Columbus, but still, I mean, who knows? I mean, with the way that we all hoped Josh Doxson would develop into the receiver that we wanted to be, maybe he takes a step forward. Paul Richardson, in his athleticism, maybe he takes a step forward. And then Trey Quinn offers the, the, you know, the easier targets or the high percentage targets in the slot. Maybe he gets it. I don't know. Goes to Jordan Reed? Maybe. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how that offense is going to shake out. But I think, from at least from a dynasty perspective and from a cost pers- perspective, I think if you want to be able to get a piece of that offense, and I think Haskins is a decent enough quarterback that it, that's an offense worth investing in. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind taking a shot at McLaurin. I have no issue with that. And to your point, Chris, that's what you want to do with your third round pick. It gets back to what we were talking about earlier. You want to target that uncertainty. Uh, I know a lot of people like to use a third round pick to target like let's say the handcuff to their stud running back or I know right now he's in a little bit of trouble, but let's say they're taking, you know, the backup to Ezekiel Elliott because they have Zeke on their squad. But the thing is that doesn't get you standalone value. So you really want to use those third round picks to mm-hmm. try to get standalone value. And you want to target that uncertainty of, Hey, we don't know who's going to be the guy in this wide receiver group, or we don't know, if this guy who is often injured in a backfield is going to get injured and give this guy more opportunity. We all know that opportunity is king. So you don't want someone who has a very solid situation and then taking their backup or a guy who's going to be super buried on the depth chart with these picks because next year you're just going to end up dropping those guys and they value anyway. So you might as well target the uncertainty and see what happens because it's no better than a lottery pick but that's what third round picks should be and if your third round pick hits in any capacity you're looking at um plus probably times five return which could involve the handcuff that you wanted to draft so i mean look at the bigger picture take a guy that you think can hit early and if you really do want to trade them and get out get your handcuff that you would have drafted there as a throw-in. So that's going to put you on your last guy, Bobby, who we got. Sure. So I guess I can't get away from talking about Jaguars, even with Blake Bortles no longer being the starting quarterback there. Rest in peace. (laughs) Yeah, if you haven't seen it a while ago, I have a signed picture of Blake Bortles that my brother-in-law got me for a holiday gift. And uh, I played a video of graduation. I think it's by High C. I can't remember the artist, but... Uh, it was a very sad send-off for Blake Portals and me. Uh, and also James James Petulis on Twitter made me a bet, so I'm not really allowed to talk about loving Bortles anymore, so I guess I should move on. But I am going to talk about Josh Oliver. The reason I'm going to talk about Josh Oliver is he finds himself on a very thin tight end depth chart. And I know year one tight ends are almost never going to hit but Nick Foles does like throwing to his tight end. He's shown a tendency to do that. 
Uh, Josh Oliver did test well, very well athletically, actually. And in his last season in college, he did have 709 receiving yards and four touchdowns, which is pretty good for a tight end. And again, he does have the draft capital behind him where he was a third round pick for the Jags. So they clearly think at least something of him. And I know uh, Swain, who used to be on the Cowboys, is ahead of him. But I think Swain is more of a blocking tight end, and they're going to use uh, Josh Oliver more in that move role. And I think I have Josh Oliver on the brain just to put this out there because uh, I joined Trade Addict 7. Uh, shout out to Russ Fisher. And it's a 1.75 tight end premium. So when you're in a 1.75 tight end premium, you're thinking about a lot of these deep tight end stashes. Mm-hmm. And so Josh Oliver is one of those guys for me. I wouldn't be targeting him in anything except tight end premium to put that out there. Sure. So if you're in a league that it's just normal one point per reception for tight ends, ignore Josh Oliver. If it's 1.5 or 1.75, I don't mind you using a third round or even fourth round pick on him. I did do that. I used the three and then I still got my later guy um, that I'm going to talk about in the fourth round because I wanted to diversify. I took that guy and every other league, so I got to a major tight end premium league, and it was also IDP, so it, that makes it even earlier. But like everything you said, and um, yeah, he's 48 overall in one QB, so people are still going for him. Yeah. Who's your last guy, Chris? Uh, just real quick, though, but just uh, thinking about uh, some tight end strategy here, and this is for uh, all the folks I know, the three of us, we've participated in the past, uh, but I don't know. I mean, are we thinking, or this is assuming, Fish does the same thing as he's done in the past? I mean, using tight end premium for the Scott Fish Bowl. I mean, would you guys try and dive into some of these late round uh, type targets, at least rookie tight ends, like in the in the Scott Fish Bowl? I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, absolutely not, because it's redraft, and so their value their value is non-existent in that. I mean, it could be, but. Even when you're talking about guys like Fant or uh, Blanking, Hawk, Hawkinson. Hawkinson, there we go. When you're talking about those guys possibly not even hitting year one, I'm not going to be taking Josh Oliver in a league where my only chance is to win that year. I'd be much more likely to take a guy much later on, like a risk on Jordan Reed staying healthy in mm-hmm. that sort of league than I would be on uh, Oliver. Okay. You know what's crazy is my last year's strategy is still incredibly relevant. Take Jordan Reed and then just take um, Vernon Davis around early. (laughs) That's all you got to do. You're going to get productivity. Exactly. Just like Haskins the same way as Alex Smith last year, you're going to get productivity from, from your tight end. Just take them both. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that would that would make sense. And I think that speaks to the nature of the position and what we can expect out of rookie tight ends. And so then, as you beautifully put it, Bobby, if we can't expect rookie tight ends to to hit in year one unless they are in that Hawkinson fant like type of athleticism and what they would are at least the production they should be walking into or opportunity that they're walking into trying to expect the same of some of these late round guys. Yeah probably is not worth the opportunity cost, even if it is late in, late in redrafts. Uh, but for me, I think it's the narrative behind this is not all that much of a reach because I think Leonard Fournette has been the topic of discussion for quite some time now. 
And when I was talking earlier about Aaron Jones and saying that at least along the lines of it always seems to be or there can be something that happens with Aaron Jones, I mean, there's definitely always something going on with Leonard Fournette. If it's not uh, missing a team photo and getting suspended for a game, it's getting a parking ticket or a speeding ticket or whatever. It's sitting by himself at the at the edge of the bench looking you know, all all upset because he's not getting playing time. Getting T.J. Yeldon in trouble. <laughs> getting T.J. Yeldon in trouble by rushing across to the opposite side of the field to get into a fight. Uh, I mean, it's it's something with this guy. And regardless of the fact that he came into the league, I mean, with a fairly decent draft capital, uh, I mean, what, fourth overall, third overall? So it doesn't yeah. really, yeah, for me, it doesn't really, and definitely not to Tom Coughlin, it doesn't matter, like, to him, it doesn't matter. It's the principle of the of the matter. <laughs> like, if you're unable to follow the rules of the league, then they're much, it's much easier for them to wind up cutting you. And so I don't think it's all that much of a leap to think that Raquel Armstead has value in 2019 and definitely moving forward, like, into 2020. Uh, at least from an athletic standpoint, I think he profiles fairly similarly to Fournette, if not better. Mm-hmm. And then also from a, but I think from a production standpoint, okay, those two are, it's it's hard to compare the two. I mean, Fournette coming from LSU, and then I believe Armstead comes from Temple. So the level of competition, sure. I mean, we'd give the edge to Fournette. And but, the draft capital. And the draft capital as well. Draft. Yeah. So it's... Again, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to believe that they just go ahead and immediately cut ties with them. But man, I, you have to believe that he's on a short leash because if they believe in the in the heat of the moment. If it's like week six, week seven, things aren't going right, and Fournette is off on one of his temper tantrums or something like that, or something happens to him, or he does something, the team could just summarily say, "Well, we've got somebody to replace you. Armstead, go ahead and do your thing." They yeah. find themselves in a losing situation. Uh, in the at least within the league or within their division, why not check and see what they have? I mean, these are stories that I could tell myself that just make logical sense. So for what Armstead is going for in drafts, why not pick him up considering, I mean, everybody's really trying to fall over themselves in order to get Montgomery, Jacobs, and Sanders. But guys like Armstead, guys like Williams, I mean, where you can see that production kind of possibly rolling in 19, if not in 2020, yeah, I try and scoop those guys up now. Armstead, 36 overall. He's 5'11", 220, ran a 4.45. Uh, fifth round is what really hurts him, but I think you're absolutely right. I think there's – I don't like to paint the, the injury narrative, but if you're going to get injured every year and you're going to be such a knucklehead, I say about Fournette, there's some guys that are really bad dudes in the NFL, and I, I really don't think Leonard Fournette is one of them. He just cannot stay out of his own way. So if you have to say this guy either going to pull a hamstring for 75% chance or he has a 75% chance of getting in trouble, well, that's more than 100% chance that he's going to miss games. You're, it's like, it's you're, like Zeke. I mean, we know the talent's there, but it's just, man, just stay at home. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, just don't go out. I mean, just stay at home. with uh, Fournette, too. So I doubt they would do this, but last next year is the last year of his rookie contract unless they right. pick up his option. And they can actually cut him and reclaim everything for next year except for his signing bonus in terms of the dead cap. Do you have a salary? It'd be interesting to see a, a rookie running back salary that got drafted that high. I don't remember. I didn't look into uh, Zeke either. 
his salary base salary next year would be four million one hundred sixty seven thousand something. Think about he how has, cheap uh, it is at that price, right? He also had one. a signing bonus of another four million four seventy one. Okay. So basically, they could save a little over four million by cutting him next year. Why um, would you ever pay a running back a second contract ever? They, I Keep, mean, that's why a lot of them don't. Yeah, keep drafting running backs for four years until you find the next good one and then yep. say bye. Why on earth would you pay Lev $16 million and you're paying Leonard Fournette four? You're saying that to a Giants fan who fully knows that they're going <laughs> to give Saquon Barkley like the richest running back contract in the history of ever right. and not be able to build a team yeah. at all. Just run the Wildcat. Just run yeah. the Wildcat. They'll be like, well... I can already see the presser from Gettleman. It'll be like, well, he's going to get his gold jacket. So we had to give him all the money he wanted. Pretty much. Because his, we went from contract. anything for Eli to anything for Saquon. Yep. His contract yeah. is going to be greater than Daniel Jones' contract. <laughs> what if they're equal? That would yeah. be insane. Mark it down. That's going to be like, all right, Daniel Jones, you're not a very good quarterback. So what we're going to do is pay all the quarterback money to Saquon and you make a pittance. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> All right. So my last guy's Dawson Knox, and this one is uh, this one's one that I feel like is just it, it doesn't make sense where he's being drafted right now. Now we do have new information with Tyler Croft. I don't know that the Tomb Raider was really going to be the starter, anyways. Dawson Knox is way more athletic, and I just think he walked in more Wait, talented. Hold up. Than Did Tyler. you just call him the Tomb Raider? Yeah. Oh Tyler man. Croft, Laura Croft. It makes sense. <laughs> I got it. I got it, but I was like, you're just going to throw that one in there and just keep on rolling, huh? All right, fine. That's it. So Dawson Knox, 6'4", 254, ran a 4.5940. That's crazy at that size. The guy didn't have a lot of productivity because he had A.J. Brown, um, D.K., uh, the one that I can't remember because he didn't get drafted. Um, he he didn't get targeted quite a bit because he, there was NFL-level talent around him so he 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 walks in as the most talented tight end on the roster and then the starter gets hurt now he's taking reps with the first team and Tyler Croft is out for at least three months now he might be back for in for game one but did Tyler Croft really get paid enough money for them to say thank goodness we got our tight end one back I really don't think so I really think that Dawson Knox holds on to the job and that he's starting week one now like Bobby said, I mean, Hawk is going to start week one. Fant's going to start week one. That doesn't necessarily mean that we think that they're going to break out in year one. That doesn't really happen. It happened with Evan Ingram, but he had no one else to target. You got all those new wide receivers in Buffalo. So I don't know that that means that he's significant in year one, but I think that he is the starter in, in week one, and I think he holds on to it. So, you know, at least you're getting a value bump. I mean – the second he steps on the field as the tight end one week one of the actual NFL season, he's got to at least return the value that you're getting at pick 45 right now. And like I said, that's probably going to go up with the Tyler Croft news, but it's not going to go up past the third round. No, I think I agree with that. And even regardless of what you think about 
uh, the like Buffalo situation, regardless of what you think about Josh Allen as a quarterback, I think, and Bobby said it earlier, I think uh, opportunity or volume is king. And if we can at least project out a decent amount of targets, at least within the tight end realm, a decent amount of targets for, for Knox, I think, yeah, why not try and invest and see if we can capture a piece of that offense, which we hope to be dynamic with Josh Allen possibly taking a step forward in year two. Why not? And Dawson Knox just sounds like a name that was born to play football. Like, yes, that he does. sounds like a football player's name. Yeah. It feels good. Dawson Knox knocks it out of the park. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you and these nicknames. I'm on a roll. I can't with you right now. Okay. So you guys have heard it. We've been able to walk through a number of at least value picks and kind of, one, the strategy behind – uh, picking them, why and how you try and tell yourself uh, these narratives, and then some examples kind of walking through at least our thoughts as to how they could be integrated into their offenses and could be either valuable in 2019 or how we see their, I guess, their possible NFL careers developing into at least 2020, because that's really all we care about. 2021. Uh, we might not all be around at that point, so who cares about fantasy football at that point? So really, we're just all concerned about just these next couple of years. But Bobby, we thank you so much for coming and talking with us tonight. It's been too long. Uh, we Again, thanks for taking the time. Again, congrats on finishing up school. New job ahead of you. Uh, but tell us about that. Tell us about the Zuberflex pod. I mean, any other content that you uh, want to put out to the folks before we get you on out of here tonight, man? Sure. And thanks. One thing I should clarify. So I guess by my tweet, a bunch of people thought I finished school. Uh, I guess I jumped the gun a little bit. I finished Uh-oh. year one of school. So <laughs> there I'm you not go. Done I was going to say, that's yet. really fast for grad school. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm starting. So I'm starting an internship. I'm very excited about it. But uh, yeah, we're recording Superflex tomorrow. And we're excited because we're going to have Shane Manila on. Everybody knows Shane. They just know him as Shane. They don't really know him by his last name. But, Mr. Data don't score points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Matt and I will be talking to him. As always, we'll be talking about uh, some quarterbacks and some animals. There's uh, going to be – we're talking very particularly about Patrick Mahomes so that I can poke at Shane and his Sammy Watkins love. So <laughs> that'll be a fun time. Uh, generally, you can find my work on DLF Football, and you can find me on Twitter. I tend to be active – and then not active depending on what's going on with school slash how addicted I am to a new video game. In this case, it's MLB the show, <laughs> but uh, generally I'm around and you can find me at rec fantasy. I'm not a Twitter tough guy. That's R E K E B fantasy. And you can find Superflex. It sounds, it's spelled exactly like it sounds, but just in case Z O O P E R F L E X on Twitter. And uh, Matt is Matt price FF on Twitter spelled exactly like it sounds and appreciate you guys having me on tonight oh yeah man of course of course i mean anytime that we can get you on and actually we need to get matt on here too but i know he has a hell of a schedule so we'd love to have him on here as well uh love talking with him because uh, we what how many times what i've been on uh dgn what like i've been on there twice how many times have you been on there adam two times i lost in the tournament of the champions like a That's loser right. but i'm wearing the shirt right now yeah but I uh, know definitely have uh, a blast like talking with Matt. So any chance we can get to do that, absolutely. Uh, but Adam, do we have anything for the folks we get before we get on out of here tonight? Yeah, just I appreciate you listening. Please like, comment, rate, review. You can find the show at Dynasty Manual on Twitter. You can find me at APWILDE. And uh, please get those reviews in. That helps a lot. 
Yeah, most definitely. And uh, I would assume, I mean, for the folks that are watching this here tonight, you guys will be able to, I guess, catch all this content right now. But if you're listening to this on iTunes, by the time you listen to this, Ab and I will have trekked through about t- 8 to 10 miles of Virginia forest because uh, we're doing the Tough Mudder this weekend. Oh, goodness. Why did you remind me? Uh, so if if I don't make it, this has been fun, and Adam is wrong about any other fancy football takes that he might have from here on out. So I just wanted to put that out there. If this is the last show that I do because I'm old and Adam might get me killed this weekend, so I wanted to let everybody – I wanted to get that message out there into the world before. I'll worship Jarek McKinnon in your honor. Exactly. See, that's what I wanted to hear. You guys heard it first. He has to – He has to, that's a promise, and he has to hold that promise. <laughs> All right. So for Bobby, for Adam, I'm Chris Allen. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisAllenFFWX. We thank you all for tuning in, and hopefully we'll catch you all next week. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the fantasy championship hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic why did you type practical application like that because <laughs> it's a party dude what is wrong with you that looks ridiculous